Good morning, friends. It's good to be together as we continue our way through these weeks in the season of Epiphany. We've been talking about our discipleship to Jesus over the last number of weeks, a theme I'll continue this morning. But before I go much further, let me begin with a familiar word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Now this morning, I'll focus especially on the healing, teaching, and preaching ministry of Jesus, especially as it relates to our own discipleship to him. As I lived with our three scripture readings in preparation for this message, I was drawn especially to a portion of our Mark reading, and I'd like to have you listen to it again, both as a description of Jesus' own way of life and ministry, but also in the spirit of a divine invitation to follow him as students, as apprentices, as disciples. Remember, Mark says, very early one morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So again, the passage begins with Jesus on a particular morning before the first light of dawn, leaving the house where he had stayed the night. He walks away to a place of solitude where he prays. Now, one of my mentors would often remind me that prayer is not mainly something you do. Prayer is mainly someone you're with. That Jesus goes to a lonely place to pray speaks to us of the priority of his loving communion with the Father. This relationship was and is the center of Jesus' life. He comes to live a human life among us, a life rich in fellowship with God. He does this dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, and living in loving friendship with the Father is, in fact, the beating heart of his life, and this is the life into which we are invited to live as well. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke reminds us this is something Jesus often did. He often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Often. It's a rhythm. It's a pattern. It's a habit. This moment in Mark, in our Gospel today, is not a one-time event. It is instead a life-giving rhythm for Jesus. Listening to the voice of his Father is life for him. Remaining in loving conversation with the Father is his joy, his peace, his center. So, Jesus withdraws a bit from the people and the work in his life to be prayerfully present with the Father. He goes to a solitary place to offer his Father his full attention. Now, back in our Mark reading, after Mark's described this prayerful moment in the rhythm of Jesus' life, Mark then tells us that his inner circle, those first disciples, come looking for him. Now, if Jesus managed to find a good solitary place, it might have taken them a while to finally locate him. But eventually, 
they stumble upon his prayerful place. And the passage says, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I wonder what is behind their passion or their urgency. Maybe they're excited about how in demand Jesus is. Maybe they see themselves as part of a winning movement and they don't want it to lose any momentum. Or are they a little anxious about all the needs that are going unmet while Jesus is off on his own, apparently avoiding this nearby needy crowd? Are they worried that the crowd might leave if Jesus doesn't meet with them soon? Whatever it is that lies behind the high energy of their statement, they've reminded Jesus of the many needs of the nearby crowd. Now, earlier in this gospel passage, we're told that there was a recent evening after the sun is set when the crowds brought their needy into the presence of Jesus. They brought him people who were overcome by physical troubles, emotional troubles, even spiritual troubles. And what did Jesus do? Well, in the power of the very present kingdom of his father, he brought healing to the sick. He drove demons out of those overcome by evil. He made people well by the power and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He had enough love in the Father and enough power in the Spirit to do this for many. You see, Jesus saw all the ways that people's lives weren't well, and he brought the life of the kingdom into their lives. This is Jesus' gospel work. He speaks words of good news. He announces them. He proclaims them. And he does work that brings good news into their lived experience. Now, if I can sort of take a step back from these gospel vignettes we've just talked about, Jesus at prayer and Jesus in ministry, I'd like to comment on a dynamic that's come to be very good news for me. You see, Jesus lives good news in prayer, in communion with the Father. And then Jesus proclaims good news to the crowds from his own gospeled life. There is a vital and life-giving intersection for us to take to heart here. In the life of Jesus and in our lives as those who are students of Jesus, prayer is an engine and the work of ministry is an expression of kingdom life. Jesus prayerfully lives the gospel in the presence of the Father, and he proclaims the gospel in both words and deeds for the healing of those in the crowd who have come. You see, Jesus is unhurried enough to be often alone in the presence of the Father, and Jesus is unhurried enough to be often in the presence of the needy crowds. He's not prayerful at the expense of good work. He does not do ministry at the expense of communion with his father. You see, this holy rhythm of prayer and ministry, of communion and mission, of spirituality and work, this is the way of Jesus. And as students of Jesus, this is a rhythm of life and work that he longs to train us in. This is the way the kingdom. He wants to gospel our lives so that through us, he can gospel the world. That's his strategy. He invites us 
to live good news day by day by day. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? We live in a world that feels full of bad news. But in Christ, we are invited to eternal good news. He wants us to live good news so richly that our words and our works are an overflow of an eternal sort of life. Simply put, he, invo- he invites us to follow his lead by living good news and then by proclaiming good news. Jesus invites us to live a life in which we are continually encountering and abiding in the vitality of his kingdom. This is what gives us courage and confidence to proclaim good news about the gracious reality of God's kingdom to this world. We can speak of the good news of Jesus because we're growing in our vision of it and our experience of it. Now, over this last year, we've all had different experiences, especially of how this COVID-19 dynamic has changed our lives. I don't think any of us 11 months ago thought we'd still be here. And now we wonder how much longer we'll be in a place like this. My own experience is I've often felt really isolated. Instead of traveling around the country or even around the world for the work that I do, I've been working from home. I sit in front of this computer and I speak to people and I do that a lot. And speaking to a little teeny tiny dot on my computer is not very inspiring. So the thing is this, I'm rarely in the presence of anyone other than Jim, my wife, and our two sons who live at home. But what I've been learning is this, isolation is not the same as solitude. Isolation, that's lonely. Solitude, that's alone with God. There's a dramatic difference between those two. And really, they are both options available to us. What I've been sensing is God inviting me to learn from Jesus how to translate more of my moments of isolation and loneliness into solitude. When I follow him, it's been helping. So I wonder if your experience has also at times been isolating. And if so, I pray that you'll find your way to noticing the presence of God with you in those alone moments. Not just isolation, not just loneliness, but solitude, alone with God. Now, back to our gospel reading. At, the, at its beginning, there's a little vignette that I found especially touching. We, we see throughout this gospel passage that Jesus heals the sick and, and the demon possessed in dramatic fashion. Often in the gospels, he heals the blind, the paralyzed, the severely ill. He brings freedom to those utterly enslaved by evil. He does miraculous and dramatic work among the crowds. It's amazing. But in the story of his visit to Simon and Andrew's home, He comes to the room where Simon Peter's mother-in-law is laying ill with a fever in the bed. He takes her hand, and apparently in that touch, she's healed. It doesn't make any headlines. It turns out to be a story in our gospel, which is its own sort of headline, I suppose. But the crowds aren't talking about this healing. Just very simple. He takes her hand, and apparently she's healed simply in that touch. She feels so well so quickly that she rises to provide hospitality to the whole group. Here's what I see in that story. When it comes to Jesus calling Simon Peter, and for that matter, us as well, he doesn't just call us to a mission. He doesn't just call us to a project or a a ministry. He doesn't just give us 
a job. He invites us into community, really into friendship. He cares about the lives of his disciples and he cares about the families of his disciples. He cares about our families. He cares about us and he cares about those we love. And I think Jesus sees us in this COVID-19 year we've been living through. I think Jesus is concerned. I think Jesus extends his hand to take ours and to help us find life in the midst of what has been a hard year. Can you sense Jesus extending his hand to you? There really isn't any suffering too small for Jesus not to notice it. I love that little story. Now, I want to just take a moment and touch our other two readings briefly uh, before we come to a close today. When it comes to the passage from 1 Corinthians, I love how Paul flushes out this prayer and ministry rhythm of Jesus in terms of his own calling to preach the gospel. To be clear, Paul is, like Jesus, a person of profound prayer and a person of courageous ministry. You can't read his letters and not catch that reality in his life. And one of the effects of this core rhythm in Paul's life is his ability to live into the experiences of others. Do you remember how he puts it? In that extended passage, he says, even though I'm free, I don't belong to anyone. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like them. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. In other words, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Paul lives his life in a growing vision of Christ with him. And this grows in him a vision of living like Jesus does as a servant of the good of others. Jesus doesn't demand that others accommodate his preferences. He doesn't demand that they lean into his likes or join him in what makes him feel comfortable. In the presence of Jesus and in the power of Jesus, Paul is able to take on the preferences, the experiences, the perspectives of those to whom he wants very much to communicate good news. Paul enters into the realities of the lives of others to become a bridge to them into the realities of kingdom good news. The reality of God with him empowers this posture. People feel Paul's loving, servant-like presence as good news. And this gives them ears to hear him talk about how he's come to live such a good life. It's a beautiful example, I think, of discipleship to Jesus. Now, how about our Isaiah reading? As I reflect on Isaiah... It seems to me to be an extended unpacking of this God-saturated, eternal kingdom vision of life. And as I read the passage, I was impressed especially that Isaiah shares a number of questions that God asks. There are 11 of them, as it turns out, in this passage. Now, I'll be honest, at times in the past when I've read them, I had a tendency to hear them mostly as kind of a stern warning. You know, have you not heard? Do you not know? You know, like eyebrows furrowed, not very happy. I don't think that's our only option here. I'm going to read them again now. 
but I'd like you to hear them in the spirit of God's loving and longing invitation into communion. I want you to imagine Jesus saying words like these with compassion and with an invitation to come close to him. What if they sounded something like this? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Hasn't it been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? To whom will you compare me? Who, who's my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created all these? Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? See, I wonder if we could hear in these questions the longing of God for us to come near and to abide, to make ourselves at home in him. Can we hear the heart of a father speaking to his beloved children? Can we hear these as words of a dear friend who loves our company? This passage is rich with a vision of the goodness of life in God and the emptiness of life apart from God. Listen to the God that Isaiah describes and think if this isn't the kind of God you'd like to often withdraw to lonely places to spend a few moments with. A God who reigns in power over every power that threatens us. A God who is unequaled in care for his very good creation. A God who never wearies or loses heart in his good intentions for his often wayward world. A God who is always wiser than the troubles that confound us. A God who strengthens and refreshes the weary. A God who is always a hopeful present in our most despairing moments. A God in whom we might learn to soar with vitality, with energy, with hope. This is the God with whom we meet in prayer. This is the God with whom we go as we live and proclaim good news to our world. This God invites us to lean into his good news so that saturated in it, we can proclaim good news. It's the rhythm of Jesus. It's the rhythm of discipleship, I believe he's seeking to teach us. I think this is the essence of Jesus' invitation to us to become his students, his disciples. He wants to teach us how to follow him often into solitary places of loving communion with the Father. He wants to train us how to follow him then into our world with these gospeled lives that energize and authorize us to proclaim credible good news to others. I hope you find that inviting. I do. And so, as I close, it's my prayer that the Spirit of Jesus might awaken us more and empower us further into this way of living and serving. This I pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.